Hi, I'm Kathy Walker, teacher, feminist and parent, and this is Raise Her Up, a podcast from the GDST, the UK's leading family of girls' schools. With 19,000 students across 25 schools and the largest women's alumni network of its kind, we are experts in girls' education and everything that goes with it. Even as a teacher with over 20 years experience of working with young people and as a mum of two girls, I am still learning every day. I think we all are. In each episode, we'll welcome an expert guest who will address a different topic that, as modern parents, we are bound to encounter at some point. In this episode, I'm talking to podcaster, writer, speaker and researcher, Chloe Combey. Generation A are current 2 to 12 year olds. And then you've got the Gen Zs from high school age to the end of university age. What you're starting to see with Gen A and Gen Z, which is really, really cool, is that they're using social media and their digital platforms for really good activism and not just promotion of the self. And their knowledge is incredible. Chloe is known for her iTunes number one rated podcast, You Don't Know Me. For her book, Generation Z, Their Voices, Their Lives, Chloe interviewed over 10,000 young people To mark International Day of the Girl this month, she joins us today to share her findings. From the GDST, this is Raise Her Up, and this is Chloe Gomby. Chloe, thank you for coming on our podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's go straight in with the question, who are Generation A? How old are they? Where are they in their personal journey at the moment? Generation A are current two to 12 year olds. And then you've got the Gen Zs from high school age to the end of university age. And then obviously you go into millennials and Gen X and boomers, but but, but Gen A fundamentally are two to 12 year olds. Is this generation the earliest to be named as such? I mean, as you said, some members of Generation A are still toddlers. I mean, does this label kind of harm them, do you think? I think it's a really interesting question. Labels can have their limitations, but I think they can be real value to it because I think I'm absolutely of the mind that there is a limitation to sort of demographics and obviously people are multi, multi-faceted beings. So I think that you have to be very fluid in those definitions. I think there's a danger to it if you very crudely label uh, young people. But I think if you do the kind of research that I do, then you can start to see patterns. And I think patterns are really useful for understanding things and kind of understanding where they're going. So I think I agree with you, there is limitations, but I think there's a definite uses and value to, to labels as well. That's a really helpful context. So let's go straight into your research then. So what matters to these young people? You know, Are they as interested in climate change, for example, and making a better world as their older siblings? I actually think Generation A will be more into kind of, sort of action and, and activism. Generation A are a generation that have now been bookended by two very significant global events, which most impacts, and this is tragic, young people who had absolutely no sort of, you know, hands in the economic crash of 2008. And then obviously the pandemic of 2020, which is going to resonate to 21 and 22. And I think that massive, massive global occurrences do tend to impact on young people. And I think what Generation A will understand from that is that there are cataclysmic events that can happen outside of your control. And whereas Gen Z, I think, had a tendency to panic, um, what you're seeing with younger Gen Zs and older Gen As is they're seeing this actually in a very constructive way and thinking that, okay, 
things happen outside of your control and you can't control them, but what you can do is make the best of them. And I think what's happening with, with Gen A's and the younger Gen Z's, rather than utilise um, social media and digital and internet, which was perhaps a very kind of narcissistic self-branding thing that was very typified by Instagram and the Kardashians and the Jenners, what you're starting to see with Gen A and Gen Z, which is really, really cool, is that they're using social media and their digital platforms for really good activism and not just promotion of the self, but things like how can I uh, create communities? How can I change the world for the better? Um, and even their role models, the big TikTokers, and I've got TikTok is not perfect, but I think TikTok, broadly speaking, is more positive than Instagram because it's about action rather than self. I think they're looking at the world and thinking, okay, this is pretty messy, but rather than become really depressed by it or really consumed by this sort of sense that there's nothing I can do, they're actually looking at how can I improve this? And their knowledge is incredible. You know, the, the stuff that they know about climate and sustainability and activism and human rights and all those things is, is really, really extraordinary. So I think, you know, Generation A are facing a really difficult world, but the way they're perceiving it is quite different. And I think it's positive. Wow, so much to unpack there. Let's um, return to technology for a minute. I, I read that Gen A are the most impatient of the generations because they are used to getting this instant fix from tech. So from your research um, into Gen Z, indeed, and to Gen A now, what will be the effect of technology on these children? And indeed, you know, we've seen how much they've relied on it throughout the pandemic for their learning. One of the things that I think we just have to get used to, this is a generation, they have grown up in a digital world and their whole world is influenced by that. They've never known a world without those things. So that is just a fact. And I think that, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We might view that in a, in a kind of Luddite-ish way of like, in my day, I used to look things up in an encyclopedia or use a dictionary. What's wrong with instantaneous access to information? There's nothing wrong with it at all. Good analogy is I always think Generation Z people in the 1950s and 60s in terms of smoking it was like then it was like oh no it's really fine give it to pregnant women uh you know old people smoke smoking's relaxing and it, then a few years later people went hang on is that really good for us and what are the effects of it and i think we're in that phase in terms of uh digital stuff and screen time and we've actually gone hang on is it a really good idea to give a four-year-old a phone? Is it really good for a teenager to spend 12 hours a day on their screens? Is it good for a kid to sleep with a phone? What we've done with Gen A is we'll learn from the mistakes, sorry, Gen Z, that we made with Gen Z and actually rectify them. And I think what is really important to think about with Gen A is that they do live in this world. There's no point in, in, in kind of going, well, in my day, things were different because they are different now. But I think the key thing with Generation A is balance. That if if they do have a smartphone, if they do spend time online, you have to kind of construct a fair negotiation over what is acceptable screen time. Are they balancing their screen lives and their digital lives with reading books or their hobbies or seeing friends in real life? And I think that that negotiation should be a conversation between parents and carers and their children. So it doesn't feel like it's a struggle. It's almost like you negotiate that together. And I think very, very much with Gen A, the key word is going to be balance. And, and you can see young people who do have these rich lives that do exist beyond the screen. And I think providing they do have hobbies and they see their friends in real lives and they read books and they use your, their imagination, I think that the digital lives and screen lives will be consumed and managed more healthily perhaps than that happened with Gen uh, Generation Z. So who are the role models for this generation? Who do they look up to? And I'm sure that any parents listening would love to hear about any suggestions that you would recommend. 
I, I'm always like, I mean, so for example, I think a really good one that feels very Gen A are the kind of the, the Greta Thunbergs um, of, of the world who completely utilised um, very cleverly has sort of media platforms. Mm-hmm. But what I think the real mistake is, um, and I'm always saying this to adults, is that I think that what happens is that all the kind of attention gets pinned on one figure. You, you became the Greta Thunbergs and the Malala Yousafzais, And I think it's, it's, it's really, really broad now in terms of really interesting voices. And I think what young people should be encouraged to do is to go on uh, to social media and, and kind of explore the, the, the kind of issues that are interested in with parents and what they're saying you know really really kind of focus on all all the kind of different voices but I think it's what I I would encourage Gen A to do because I think we became too fixated with the kind of brands the names is look at the issues rather than the brand names and I really really encourage parents and and their kids to explore those issues together because there's really interesting stuff going on and again not not to kind of you know become some voice or advocate for TikTok but I think one of the things that's really encouraging about TikTok more than Instagram because my the millennial generation we sort of you know Instagram was the complete thing and Instagram is completely about this kind of narcissistic self-branding and it was all about hotness everything was about you know putting filters on and the pouting and you know, and all these kind of ridiculous body transformations. And TikTok, though, there is very much that kind of culture that runs through it. There's also this really good action culture. It's not really about this kind of passive, everything's about sort of, you know, sexy photographs. Um, There's a kind of a playfulness on TikTok. It's about constructing plays or rap or songs or poems and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, obviously, you know, there's a no under 13s policy, but I think with Generation A, the the sort of culture of of social media does seem to be moving towards doing creative stuff and active stuff. That does feel a little bit more encouraging than it felt five years ago. It was just depressing. Um, And, you know, every time I did an experiment with eight-year-olds, with girls, and I'd ask them in these kind of drama things to do a pose, like uh, how they do in front of a camera. And instantly everyone went in, like it was like weird to look at into this kind of Kylie Jenner, bum out, boob out, you know, that kind of peace sign, lips pouted. And I did that again recently and it it wasn't like that. So parents can take heart a little bit. That is incredibly uh, reassuring, actually, I think. Let's just go back to that that idea of body image. Where do you think that Gen A stand on things like body image? Do you, do you feel that they have a more positive body image? Are they happier in their own skin? Are they less aware of the pressure to look a certain way than, say, their mothers? Oh, right. So let's start with the good stuff. Um, the body positivity movement is thriving, completely rejecting this notion that the only good figure is tall, very thin, white and blonde. And that has been, to some extent, the idealised beauty and body shape. I mean, so I think what's fundamentally happened is the gatekeepers basically got evicted. So you used to have these gatekeepers of fashion magazines or TV or Hollywood who were like the mainstream media. And they were kind of, you know, adults saying to young people, this is the idealised form of beauty. This is the idealised body shape. This is the only images you will ever see 95% of the time. And social media has rejected that because young people have become the creators and the consumers of media, which is social media. What they see is so much more diverse in terms of, you know, ethnicities, body shapes, you know, disabled influences, everything that you never used to see in fashion magazines, you know, all kinds of sort of diverse shapes. Which you, so if you can look on social media and see people, whatever you look like, who look like you, all that being said, the statistics 
aren't brilliant. And despite this body positivity, you know, the, the numbers and the figures about eating disorders are still on the rise. And added to that, you absolutely do have new issues. So, for example, young girls are, are talking about cosmetic surgery and wanting to enhance bums or boobs or lips. And just, you know, and like, you know, the notion that an eight year old will know what Botox is is insane, but they do. And that is the kind of the, the dark side of social media. So positive stuff body positivity movement and loads and loads and loads of different representation. So girls who don't look like high fashion models, which like, let's face it, 99% of us don't, can see themselves on social media in a really positive, beautiful way. That's the good side. The bad side is this absolute hammering 24-7 of filtered images, you know, images of cosmetic surgery. And because it never stops, you, you have, you know, all these kind of issues about mental health and comparison, and that's the dark side. It's interesting. So you mentioned parents, um, and you also mentioned gatekeepers earlier on. Uh, and obviously, parents are the gatekeepers of social media to a certain extent. How significant is it that many of Gen A's parents will be from Gen Z? Well, in terms of good for parents, no, bad, good for parents, bad for kids, because what, like with, with, uh, like millennials, the stuff we got up to online and because our parents were completely clueless. I mean, that's probably why we got into some of the messes that we did because parents had no idea what their kids were getting up to online. You could tell your parents, Oh, no, I'm doing my homework and be getting up to all kinds of stuff, which we all did. And it felt like, you know, there was a whole useful subculture that, that manifested and developed because older people didn't grow up. So it was it was really mysterious to them. And my dad still can't get his head around the difference between a post and a message on Facebook. It, like kids call Facebook grandparent book because Facebook has become, you know, the, the, the platform for grandparents. So the good side of it, and not so great for teenagers, is we now have a generation of like younger parents who will be like millennials, who won't have the wall pulled over their eyes and will know exactly what kids get up to on, on uh, social media. Um, but the trouble is now, I mean, you know, it's a very, very fast flowing thing and there's always massive changes. The fact remains is it's a bit of a cognitive dissonance, but all young people are exponentially more likely to come on into harm online than they ever are in the park. And the strange thing is parents will often go, yeah, have a phone or have a laptop in the bedroom and not think twice about it and do it with good intentions. But they never say to their kid, yeah, go wander around in the park. But statistically, it's more dangerous in their bedroom with their phone or their laptop than it is playing in the park. So I think it's really important that that sort of that cognitive dissonance is never forgotten. Chloe, every episode we have a contribution from a member of our GDST family. And today's contribution comes from Cecile Halliday, who is Head of Juniors at Northwood College for Girls. I'm delighted to speak to you about Generation A because I find them so articulate and I'm always impressed by how much they know themselves at such an early age. They're great at asking questions and really pushing you to think in the way that we are encouraging them to think. They they do it almost back, back and forth. So I love my conversations with them. They have a real sense of community. So they are great at being individually driven and focused and self-aware and have vocabulary to support that. 
but also to interweave that um, when problem solving or pulling together in new ways. The pace at which they absorb new information and turn it on its head is really refreshing. I think if it wasn't for COVID, looking at computing, we would not think of giving Teams or Google Drives to pupils in reception year one or year two. And I will be honest with my reception pupils sometimes, if I was struggling with Teams, they were very brilliant at suggesting a way that you could move forward. I feel that they've changed my role and they've equally pushed me to become a really great practitioner. They make you feel comfortable and they want to work with you to try to find um, solutions. So for me, Generation A, I find them fresh, exciting and one to watch. On the back of what Cecile says about how involved, how caring uh, Generation A are and how they are probably much more aware of and care much more about world issues like poverty, climate change than previous generations did. Would you say that these children are much more naturally woke? You know, are they savvy to events such as George Floyd's murder last year? Are they more hopeful for the future or are they more cynical, do you think? I would say absolutely. I think that they are so much more conscious and aware of the world. And I think, you know, that is nothing but a good thing to be celebrated because it's a, a generation. And, you know, even much more so than Gen Z and millennials, it's you know, a byword for a generation who immediately are seeing beyond themselves, looking at the world and thinking, really, how can I make this a fairer and better place for everyone beyond me? So I would absolutely say yes. And I think woke generally just is a byword for, for caring and generous and seeing beyond themselves. So if woke is, is a sort of a bad thing, I, you know, we don't want to be right because yeah, they are woke, but in a really, really good way. So here is the million dollar question for you. What can teachers, schools, parents all be doing to nurture the progress of Generation A, in your opinion? I think it absolutely goes back to that um, balance thing. Let's give them back or nurture childhood we we are pushing kids so quickly and so fast into this kind of the adult you know themed oriented anxieties and, and worries you know about SAT scores or you know jobs or the future and I just think that you know childhood is a precious and fundamental foundation of a healthy adult and that means imagination that means play and all those kind of brilliant things that attach to childhood so I think you know one of the things that we really have to do and we don't have to do it in this kind of um you know kind of Enid Blyton fantasy sentimental way but I think encouraging young people to be able to play and read and not feel pressured about sats or achievement or the future is incredibly important that doesn't mean to say that you shouldn't prepare them or or you know allow you know discussions about what the future looks like but I think that it absolutely has to be framed in a way that they're absolutely okay the future will be okay and they are really allowed to enjoy their childhood because I think we're losing Using that, and I think it's really important that we don't. Chloe, can you talk to us about what Generation A means in terms of girlhood? Well, in ter- for Generation A, um, I think that girlhood is incredibly exciting. Girls are high achieving. Girls can go into any industry they want. You know, industries that have previously been hostile to young women are being made very aware of the fact that there has to be kind of an inequality. And I'd also like to say that in the top 10 happiest countries, the countries that dealt best with the pandemic, I think two thirds of them were countries that were 
ruled by women. So you had Finland and New Zealand. But also, I think there's always this dark side that I think young women are absolutely in the sort of crucible of constant examination, constant criticism. Um, they Sometimes I think they have to kind of work harder to prove themselves. So I think it's one of those, it's, a, it's an incredibly exciting time uh, for, to be a Gen A girl, but I think it's also challenging. And I think the other thing that I really, really want to say is parents and Gen A girls and Gen Z girls, if girls stop attacking each other, you know, managing the kind of girl drama, I think we need to get much better about addressing that and getting girls to be more positive about each other. Because the big difference also with Gen A girls is they now live in a time where you never step away from that because they're all on sort of social media and online. And I think something like 95% of you know, arguments happen on social media. So I think we also need to really, really readdress that thing of girls actually being positive to other girls and creating almost kind of like a charter and agreement about kind of girl positivity and paying it forward and actually being much better about forming a kind of, you know, a sort of a girlhood and a sisterhood that's really positive. Mm-hmm. You um, actually answered the question before I had the chance to ask it because girl friendships are a perennial issue. I'm sure that any mums and dads listening will be very familiar with the girl drama that you mentioned. Yeah. And I, I mean, the thing is, it's such a perpetual problem. I mean, if you think about, you know, there's major, some of the most successful Hollywood films of all time are specifically about girl dramas in a way that you never get about boy dramas. And I think to some extent that's because there, it's like, Girls, going back to my previous point, we have a much stronger tendency to put the lives of girls under microscopes in a way perhaps that boys don't get or or it certainly is in a different way. This isn't a modern problem, but I think one of the things that the messages I think does work with girls is when you attack each other, when you attack other girls, and particularly your girlfriends, your sisters, your siblings, all those kind of things, you are giving away your power when you do that and you are making yourself powerless you're making yourself look less powerful and you're actually revealing a kind of a vulnerability and actually the fact that you obviously don't believe in your own power so I think rather than use language like bitchy or catty I think that we should focus on addressing girl drama in terms of this power structure and giving away power and I think when you start having a conversation that revolves around that it becomes much more positive because girls then don't think that they're being labelled as catty and actually they can start to see it in a much more kind of constructive way and I think that's a much better conversation it's really worth exploring when girls are in that gen a band because that's when it all starts to kick off and I think you can let you can you know see something that's much more positive that will take them through those very difficult teenage years can I ask you about the specific use of the term girl drama because I know that some people would take issue with that because it implies that drama is attached to girls rather than boys and you know you 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 did to give you a due you did mention boy drama too but is that a terminology that is used by say a, a gen a group of girls yeah yeah girl drama is absolutely um i mean it's, it's certainly not uh, unique to Gen A, but I think there is absolutely, and I think to be honest, I think some of it is justified because girls, it, drama is not a feminine thing and you absolutely do see so much uh let's say cattiness between boys and you see absolutely so much cattiness in mixed groups it is not a feminine or a girl thing all that being said if you actually analyze it in a kind of an objective distant way you think wow that's almost borderline it's organized and it's it's sadistic and it's cruel and it's like god if you could if you could put that into like a military campaign girls are terrifying but again there's that power and you always say to girls if you put the kind of energy you put into nastiness or campaigns against other girls. You could solve 
any problem that you wanted to, but you specifically put it into damaging each other. Don't do that. If you got every 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old girl to put all that energy into climate change, they'd have solved it by Tuesday. And girls would be extraordinary. And they are extraordinary, but they're not as extraordinary as they could be because they're wasting a lot of their power. Chloe, thank you so much for this incredibly empathetic insight that you've given us today. Certainly as a mother of two girls, I'm incredibly grateful to you for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST. To hear all the experts we have on this series and to make sure you don't miss one, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you could leave a review and a five-star rating, it'll help other parents and carers to find the podcast so they can listen and learn too. I'm Cathy Walker. Join me on the next episode of Raise Her Up when I'll be talking to journalist, broadcaster and author of book Communicate for Change, Janelle Aldred. Why do we have to have the argument about who's more deserving of the help or who needs the help more? Why don't we have a conversation about very specific groups with specific needs that needs to be met in a specific way because that's what doesn't happen. So we end up in this argument which happens every year or so around exam time and I actually think that's not okay. As a taxpayer, I would like all children to be educated. I'll see you then.